Howdy there, folks. Text of the Black Pants Legion here, and we are here with the BPL podcast. Unless you are looking for the Berkeley Public Library podcast or the Biloxi Public Library podcast or any of those other public library podcasts, I, as a librarian, can tell you that we are the most clicked on library podcast that is not a library podcast. So thank you and welcome. Today is a wonderful podcast, I think, because I have some wonderful guests here and I have had lots of coffee. So to my left, everyone's favorite Brazilian American, a man who urges to have an FNFAL but is not yet brave enough to desire it aloud, Mr. Goat. <laughs> I'd like one. See, Just got to save the money for it. I found an imbel for sale yesterday, bud. How Actual much? Brazil. 2100 no, US dollars. No, that's not worth the money for it me. Also, no. It also looked like it had begun life as four or five different rifles that perhaps met in the dark. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's how you know it's a genuine Imbel product. No, Imbel makes good. It's Taurus that has the reputation. Taurus is hit or miss. Yeah, uh, that's unfortunate with guns. All right, <laughs> mo moving to our left, everyone's favorite mech artist currently on the podcast. The first mech artist currently on the podcast, a man who sent me an email one day that said, hey, me, me, me draw man, me draw good, me want help, text talks battle tech. And I saw that little three dots, right, on my on my email, that little three dots. It's like open, right? And I figure I'm going to get a click and it's going to be a dick, <laughs> a dick butt, or it's going to be like the worst MS Paint thing ever. And I open it and it's gorgeous. And like, I almost fall out of my chair and I copy paste it to Mike. And I know it's serious shit because it will not load. It's too big for Discord. And, and I was like, oh God. So I had to open like the snip thing, you know? And, and I had to do like a really downsized BMP and sent that to Mike. And Mike's like, holy fuck, email me the full size. And I sent it to Mike. And Mike's like, holy fuck. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, hire him. And I was like, ah. And so then, you know, then I had to come back and act like all cool. You know, I was like, yeah, uh, you've got, you've definitely very promising. <laughs> and then behind the scenes, Mike and I were like, ah. So uh, good day, sir. Eldonius Rex. Bah, weep, granad, weep, ninny bong, fellows out there. And the nerds who will know what that is. The knights formerly known as knee. Oh, no, sir. Transformers. Yep. Deep cut from Transformers the movie. Yep. Fucking the nerds. You know how I know about it? Because I found out about it through Shadowrun playing Goat's Game. <laughs> what? Yeah, somebody had said it. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And someone went, Mike, calm down. Stop yelling. And I was like, all right, what is that? And... uh they explained that it was from the Transformers movie, which I've never seen. Uh, yeah, uh, it's the universal greeting for all sentient beings across the uh, universe and the galaxy, sir. Yeah. And what's funny is I think about the time that I made that offer to you. That's when I was during my uh, birds and tanks series that I was kind of doing. Yeah, it was incredible. You, you, you were drawing like beautiful, realistic birds in World War II tanks. And you were like, and here's... <sighs> The reason I bring this up is I just had an autistic moment of art history. Imagine everyone out there, unless you're driving or operating motor vehicles or machinery. Like if you're a forklift. Listen, if you're a forklift operator certified, God bless you, sir. You are the master race. But and, and we cower in fear of you. But look, if you're out there, if you're running machinery, shut it off. I want you to close your eyes. Everyone on the podcast, close your eyes. I'm, I'm going to lead you on this on this walkthrough. You walk into a nice, cool, 
well-lit, beautiful museum. And there are tasteful ropes in front of everything that are just dry and neat and brushed, no fluff on them. And everyone walks in quiet awe from exhibit to exhibit, seeing the master crafts of artists in their greatest throes of inspiration. And you walk into one room, Mark Daldonius. And upon your immediate left, there's a placard. And it says, Behold, the Bird Tank Era. And you look up, and there are a series of birds and armor. The birds are near photorealistic. The armor is cartoonish. And they seem to be fighting the middle, I would say, between 42 and 44. Like pre-Battle of Hurtingham Forest. Like, like birds duking it out in combat. And you look down in the right-hand corner, and you see the price tag. And you decide you're going to buy this 48 by 48 masterpiece and take it home to your sweetie with some KFC and show her that she is a very special someone. That is the scenario in which I see your art in like 40, 50 years. I I think it's going to go up as American brilliant absurdism. I, I, I really do. It has a, it has a same magical quality of absurdism in some of the things you can mesh together. Because when you, when you think about it, because I'm not an art expert, so a lot of artists out there are going to start screaming like, that's not what that means. But I love that you can take something as fictional as a battle mech and make it look real and make it look big and make it look like it's a photo and but it's absurd in that it's this fictional thing that will never exist, really. And I, I find that incredible as well. One more thing: sitting far to the left, who's been nodding and waiting very patiently, and is my very good friend and brother in arms, and man with an excellent mustache and a full head of hair, the likes of which I cannot grow, <laughs> and and routinely says very nice and polite things, and cannot currently drink coffee, is my friend Mike. Hi, Mike. Hello. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, that was a beautiful image you drew. Thank you. It's, it was, I, I can see things like this because if you looked at something as weird hmm. as Salvador Dali's work, right? When he was doing it, you would go like, no, 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 no. You couldn't, no. You can't put this, no. If you go out to the museum, this is bizarre. But then you can think of a time in 30, 40 years when people look back and they go, wow, everyone was drawing the same shit. And here's this guy who creates this weird, amazing, cool thing that makes you stop and think about it. Wow. You know, and that makes you and you can be the old guy. Oh, my God. Right. So here's if if they're making your movie, Aldonius, here's how it's going to be. They, it shows you drawing all this crazy stuff and working on crazy stuff and pulling commissions from crazy people and just working your ass off and having snakes in your walls. Um, which we will talk about uh, mm-hmm. the snakes he's named that just live there, and you know the snake skin like blowing out of the air vents and what have you. Um, or no, it's still stuck up there, but ugh, it's scary. a reminder. Yeah, it's a reminder. <laughs> Who runs Barter Town? I was gonna say, Tex, uh, if Tank Knights ever loses its luster for you, yeah. uh, Tank Birds. Oh my God! It the problem is furries would get in on that, and we would really hate ourselves very quickly. Yeah. We we would we would really. They are perfectly fine people with a lot of money. Tex. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's a very political way to say that artist. 
<laughs> he's like, I don't do furry stuff. And then he's like, unless you click this oh, link. Unless. Yeah. He's like, weird. there's no hidden link at the bottom left corner of my site. That's just when you scroll halfway down, there's n- nothing else. They don't worry about thousand dollars to click this link alone. Yeah. That's, that leads to a PayPal page. It's like the, it's like wart from Diablo, except with art. <laughs> yeah. You just have to pay to see what you can, what you can make. Oof. There are many things that um, I would love to do as a joke, but I don't think a lot of people would take it as a joke, and it might lead to uh, yeah. you know sketchier uh, commission propositions. Well, and that's that's the thing is like in in the age of the internet, you have to be a little horrified at how people you'll leave yourself to be open a little bit just to have human moments with people and bring joy and happiness, and then now one person comes by, and usually it's about feed stuff. And you're like, uh, you ever get, do you ever get anyone trying to hire you to buy someone, uh, buying wonder bread? Uh, repeat that. Somebody trying to buy a wonder bread. Yeah. Oh my God. You haven't heard of that. <laughs> no, uh, listen, listen, my knowledge of the internet, it's like very shallow, Okay, if, very shallow. I, I don't go to those places, goat. Where uh, are you going? <laughs> he won't admit it. No, but he he goes to 4chan. That's a website. Oh yeah, the hacker known as 4. Yeah, we yeah, definitely go- haven't mentioned this before. Yeah, he's on the hacker. No, known that's as 4chan. not even a 4chan. That's thing. his best that's friend. Like no, yeah, that's yeah. We're tight. <laughs> yeah, um, no homo. No, <laughs> there is this. So you cannot mention 4chan and say no homo. I'm Joy. sorry, but um, yeah. In any case, now that we've immediately jumped to like asking about like weird commission shit. Yeah, that was on we, my list. But we it was we all knew a that's, little bit more like no, nice. He asked us nah, of, fuck that. I, he sucked he, his dick look, enough. He um, asked this of every single artist. He asked this of anybody, and I'm like, you've already had everybody tell you, buddy. You already know. You already know. So there's this guy. You're just has morbid at this point. An extremely I have everyone has morbid curiosities, Mike. Yeah, I know. You keep asking the same question, right. though. Do you want to make? Do you want to commission someone some, for some furry art? I mean, no. Wonder Bread. Wonder, Wonder Bread. Bread. Oh, just Wonder Bread. Oh, okay. Has this very specific we'll fetish for rich <laughs> white people, white women buying Wonder Bread and chopping down rainforest, sometimes with chainsaws made out of Wonder Bread, and he's just weird and he's a pest and he's approached like pretty much anyone who does commission art at all about this stuff wow eldonius you could make some quick money okay eldonius <laughs> what would your message be to wonder bread man if indeed if indeed wonder bread man is listening mm. rich white women buying wonder bread i'm not currently taking commissions at this time due to overload of business and extra work but check back with me in the fall and i may no, be able to no, accommodate you no do not <laughs> eldonius is gonna be like hey Finally cleaned the snakes out of my attic. And then he shows the Artie Drew and we all throw up. (laughs) I am going to, if that Uh, happens, I will take the snakes and I will put them in Wonder Bread bags and I will mail that picture to them. This is is the type of shit he... I mean, it just looks like overweight Peggy Bundy and a bread store. It is. I mean, uh, I don't know if you put that to people without context, they might think you're making like a... Uh, commentary on modern consumerism. Yeah, like you could, you could yeah, actually. No, but the, the guy just gets off on it because it's associated with like I don't know attractiveness to him. Yeah, but imagine if you drew it like Norman Rockwell. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, like yes. Lady buys bread. Norman Rockwell, <laughs> just all the soft touch. Yeah, that okay. would be great. The prim proper, like maybe a uh, aging matron with the yes. graying hair, and yes. she's got the pins in her hair and yes. everything, pulled up to a cash register with her cart full. 
of delicious, luscious, and enticing Wonder Bread at the checkout. And, you know, you get that typical, like, Rockwell, like, crag, you know, soft face, craggly old man who's, yes. like, you know, maybe with a little bit of an excited look on his face as he yeah. rings up the cart full of bread. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like the sly smile to the side. Like, yeah, she she's getting that bread. <laughs> yeah. She's taking that bread home, and she's not going to eat it all before it molds. <laughs> she's wasteful. <laughs> she's so wasteful. Well, that's why I was initially going to ask Goat. It's like, is this some sort of like money pig thing? But the guy just wants the person to buy like a lot of a yeah. cheap good. He wants basically he wants the Velveeta. Like, where's the Velveeta guy? I don't know. Oh, I'm sure you just summoned him. Did <laughs> <laughs> it end? It's like Superman four and Nuclear Man. You know, you try to destroy something. You have created a nemesis. He's right now in an office, and like he just a. Alarm, like almost like Metal Gear Solid, like the little exclamation point yeah, yeah. went over his head. And he just looks out the window. He's like, it's like, no, I mustn't. It's forbidden. Oh, God. So welcome, Mr. Eldonius, Osir of the Pen, drawer of mechs, an actual fucking establisher of mech trends with looks uh, from self-published a hired gun at Catalyst. Like what a ride, huh? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. This is, this is definitely something I wouldn't have seen happening like two or three years ago. I mean, yeah, it's it, it's been pretty astounding how this stuff is kind of blown up. So here's here's the question is and, and this is my first question, because we we really thought about this when we first started doing the podcast. We did a series of podcasts on video games um, and. Now that I've had some more time to think about it, I, I was going to ask this question again of us now that there are different people on it. But if you could develop any video game, the ultimate game, something with which you would be associated with, something like how Sid Meier used to do, you know what I mean? Where you Oof. create this, he could do it again. I'm just saying he could. But what I'm saying is when you have something that your name is associated with it. So it's Eldonius Rex's blah. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, goats, blah, you know, just whatever your whatever your game is. What would your ultimate game be that you would want associated with? See, this is kind of problematic because that game's already being made. Right. Uh, really? If if I, if you went back to a young Eldonia sitting in front of his uh, Packard Bell computer, you know, back in the mid 90s, you know, I was a big fan of wing commander and those various games up until up to privateer yeah privateer was great yeah fantastic. E even, even though it was like half made and fucked up it was great oh yeah and half the time you weren't even playing that game straight you're gonna hack it immediately and give yourself like four stealth tech cannons on like the best ship in the or game or a star destroyer i don't think that was enough for like the pilotable side of things but the thing is, is as that young man, I would have probably envisioned it being Star Citizen. And as we know, Star Citizen is being made. I don't have time for it. But looking <laughs> at that game, yeah. like all the ships, being able to get out of the ship, board other ships, get into gunfights, go off and look at sandworms. is like, oh, no, that's the dream game right there. The only problem is, is it's not being finished. No. Scamp Citizen. 
yeah at this point <laughs> it's just like if i was a kid i'd be like yeah going nuts or like oh, you can have your own carrier and you can have it manned by fighters and the turrets by the friends you don't have oh that's fantastic <laughs> yay now the next part is i have to find friends <sighs> hey, do you want to be a crew member on my ship when you could just have your own instead and this is a, a young man who had a lot of allergies. So he'll be like, can you walk out on my spaceship and man my turrets? We're gonna go hunt pirates. You, you've, you've got like a card made up and it's like, will you be my spaceship friend? And you like hand them out to people. You're like, here you go. You've got like aviator, like top gun sunglasses on. Yeah. And yeah. you know what happened in rural Arkansas with that? <laughs> Would you be my spaceship friend? Punch. Sad times. Well, that's called uh, hanging out in the library and playing Load Runner on ancient PCs. Oh man, that yeah. I mean, I mean. All right. So go. What would your what would your ultimate game be? I mean, shit, dude. What? Okay. Let's say you have the the Shadowrun IP. The Shadowrun IP. Yeah. Like I'm saying, if you could associate yourself with something, like yeah. Let's say you have the Shadowrun IP because we remember, like for example, Star Trek 25th anniversary because it was Interplay's Star Trek 25th anniversary. It it wouldn't. Fu- it's not doable. <laughs> it's not. Come on, you could do Shadowrun. No, it's it's just it's Shadowrun can't do Shadowrun. <laughs> well, okay, that's fair. Uh, I did notice that they do have the Shadowrun Returns game. That is, yeah, but like those are like very simple. They're like visual novels mixed in with like watered down new XCOM combat. It's like I played through all of them. The story is okay, but it's like it's it's that's not what it is. It's basically it's like it would be like a puzzle game because it's like okay, there's a security system, and you have an objective that's defended by these measures. You got to find out what they are. And how are you going to get through it? But then at that point, it's just payday, but more cerebral. So there's way more prep time. Yeah. There's way more over-specialization. It's well, not- imagine, imagine, okay, now we're getting into something interesting. Okay, we're getting into something interesting. Okay, you have a Shadowrun game, right? So the hub of the Shadowrun game, the hub of the Shadowrun game is something like Yakuza, right? Where it's it's the Shadow Runner hub, and you can run around and do stuff in there, like getting bar fights or buy guns or whatever. Uh-huh. And this is where you get stories and quests and what have you. Then you go out on runs, and the runs could be released or made by the community. So you could like build maps and shit for the community. Yeah, All these that's yeah. more what it would be like, right? And so these runs would be established. And when you go on a run, uh, you grab a run, you call your friends in game and say, hey meet at the local place and you have so much equipment you can bring with you that's persistent like owned custom yeah. equipment and over time you i mean a lot of the shadow run stuff for like um you know gun nuts is all passive so all you have to do is put modifiers on accuracy or what have you allowing someone to become like near pinpoint accurate it would run kind of like scum like the big question is whether you make it just entirely like skill based or make it more like scum where your the rpg element stats affect gameplay yeah it will probably be something like that it will just be tremendous technical challenge oh yeah i mean sure sure i mean you're describing something and well we're describing something that would be many games in one yeah and certainly not not something that would be attractive to anyone no and at that point it's like i'd rather just play the trpg because you're not going to beat the trpg if you have like a good gm at that point it's just a cer- at that point it's just form for posting like run setups which like one guy 
has done on Reddit and they're like, okay, I'm working on doing my own and publishing those not on Reddit, probably and probably just leak it somewhere else and hope somebody reposts it there for persistence sake. And that's fair. I mean, so, so Mike ultimate game. Sorry for the doomer response, but no, no, it's, it's a valid opinion. Yeah. Uh, I, I really don't have a perfect game. Uh, ultimate game. I, like, I, I don't know if that can be made. Uh, it's it's kind of like, it, it, I guess it really depends on how you define perfection because there's like a ton of things in this world that well, I don't not, even not, know exists. Not ultimate by anyone else's definition. For you, something For you would gladly put your stamp upon and say it's Mike's blah. I agree with Aldonius. I think freaking Star Citizen would be the ultimate game if they could ever finish it. I like the art for it. It's fucking solid. I, I put a well, lot of money the, into the, it. The art the art yeah. is cool. essentially ninety percent of what's there. It's yeah, it's, I know. It's like promissory notes. It is. That look, n- no one's arguing with you on that. Yeah. You can keep bringing that up all you want, but all it, you're gonna it, do is it makes, it's, it's it, long. It's, you're basically just I, telling I, everybody who already doesn't like the game that you also don't want it. I'm, I'm not saying I don't. Yeah, want it. I'm saying my experience with it so far has been kind of weird. I played. Yeah, all no, it's that's mine too. And and so I like the idea. All you can ultimate. do is be weird in that game right now. That's yeah, what we do. And, and, and that's the thing is I like flying the- around in the ship like someone like stand on the deck. Okay, and this is what I'll do. I'll fly around the ship. I'm like, all right, I'm coming, and I'll turn on the local comms. I'm like ah! come by on the ship, and that's the most fun I have in Star Citizen. It yeah. slips my mind at the moment, but what's the name of the creator? It's Robert. Oh, um, Bobby Beltran. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, not Bobby Beltran. What's his name? Uh, that was Chicote and Voyager. Before you go, look it up, people. Mm, uh, yeah. Bobby Beltran. <laughs> yeah, it's Robert Space Industries. Is all something. Yeah, Chris Roberts. Chris, Chris Christopher yeah. Roberts. Oh, and that's not Christopher Roberts. Christopher well, Chris, Robbins. Yeah. yeah Chris, oh, you didn't build a, You didn't finish a game. Oh, bother. Well, I mean, obviously. <laughs> Obviously, Chris Roberts seems to be the bottleneck of these projects because it's uh, quote unquote perfectionism. Uh, As I understand it, Freelancer was supposed to be something similar to Star Citizen. And the only reason that game got finished was because what Microsoft yoinked it from him. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, And And somebody had to. I, I my theory with Star Citizen right now is that at some point. He's just going to stop working on it and go, I did what I could and I'm going to back away from this. And he's going to walk away with a shitload of money and then go do another project like maybe 10, 20 years from now uh, as a comeback thing. And Star Citizen will be finished by whoever's left behind. That's what I that's my theory of what's going to happen, because he just seems like a guy who will never finish whatever he starts because he just keeps at like that guy from Canon Films just keeps fucking making shit. And you're like, can we produce this now? You know, it's kind of like that. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. It's hmm. and I'm not, I don't mean to crap on your questions. I'm just pointing out that this uh, has become a trope now. I will do better. I promise. No, you won't. I, I will. I don't believe in well, you I anymore. That, I, well, I think it's like friendship the ended. Is, is, friendship ended. No. Friendship <laughs> has now started with Aldonius. Hold on, no. we got to turn you down fifty percent. Oh. You lost. You lost speaking. Now you're quiet. <laughs> we well, just we just hear him crying no, in the, the background. But I think the point of, I think the point that comes to mind for me though is like I don't want I don't want to like 
you know, have branding associated with me or, or make some big thing. I just, no, wanna, I, I'm just saying, I just an have, like, small I, stuff and, with my friends. And actually well, that was, yeah. that was part of the reason why I couldn't come up with a good answer. Cause like, well, I don't want to say Star Trek or Dude, something that, already exists. I, if you could make a Star Trek game, you wouldn't. No, it's not that I want to make something that's original. That's like different okay, from Star yeah, Trek. It's neat to do something original, but I'm saying, what if, what if in order to make your original game, see, here's where the question provides a jumping off point. What if, to make your original game, they said, Mike, we really loved what you did with Star Trek. We want you to make a Star Trek I, No, game. this is what I would say. No, because I'm working on Star Trek. This never ends. Oh, God. The Trek goes on forever. Oh so, my God. so it's it's, so it's like Hitman, but it's released episodically. And so it's like oh no. episode 471. I would, I, I would honestly offer up cash prizes to people in the community to write modules that would be used in the official part of the game see that's a good fucking idea and star trek online used to do that and anybody who didn't win i would not like i i would say i would never take your project i will never use your idea yeah just just say hey man you get a writing credit people get to enjoy your shit i yeah. won't take it you know? unless i think it's really good and i'm like i like two of these so that you're both getting prizes yeah. so it's it's not like the grand prize only one person can hold the bag above their head i'm like no fuck it i'm gonna no, keep we doing got this. two stories that are really great yeah. and we think they work well together yeah you, know, you can you can, yeah sure that's that's what i would do if i did star trek but the reason why i don't want to say star trek is the ultimate game is because it's it's like they already have an mmo and everyone thinks they know what's best for star trek and i don't every wanna, trekkie knows what's best for star trek i know none of them agree i don't want to do something that's got like a large fandom already based around it i want something that's like we come up with that would be <laughs> What if what if you did yeah. what if you're like I'm not going to make a Star Trek game I'll make a Traveler game and you make a Traveler game for 10 years because of how in depth it is and the first reviewers you get to play your Traveler game are so it's Mr. Miffed. Welch No no the first review <laughs> Oh god No the first reviewers you get are so brutal because they all die in character creation cuz they're fucking idiots. Yeah cuz they're journalists Yeah that's what I mean yeah. as they go through and they're like I died this game is not very good I would use their reviews in an epic trailer video that's on yes, Steam Yes exactly I'm like I died in character creation 0 out of 5 and it's like IGN, IGN yeah, yeah. Yeah, and 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 then uh, you, all thumbs downs everywhere Yeah and and then you and then you just go <laughs> The world is full of boys. Be a man. Play traveler. <laughs> Holy shit. You just shit on everyone. I, I, I have to say, um, Aiken, an interesting side thing to what Mike just said, like not wanting his name put on a project, is that down the road, people won't be going like, oh, yeah, Star Trek was really good. Tell Mike got a hold of it. Yeah. They're going to say that anyways. They're going to say, yeah. Because there's a, look there's at what happened group. when J.J. Abrams came out. They're like, well, Star Trek was great till J.J. Abrams came along. And I'm the and, petty motherfucker who, yeah. if I found out who that was and I had that kind of fuck you money, I'd be like, all right, what game store are you at? I'll meet you. <laughs> exactly. I'll go down to their game store and be like, all right, let's have a talk about what you think about my shitty series. I'm yeah. going to smash a Games Workshop model over your head. That's what I'll go to a Games Workshop based game store, so hoping that we get to fight in it so we do a lot of property damage. <laughs> you knock, Damn. You knock, <laughs> that was a nice setup for a <laughs> knockdown, bud. <laughs> you knock over like one box of Ultramarines. You got to pay like $2,000 in, in fines. All yep. right, asshole. It's time to bash some kits. <laughs> oh, oh God. man. So I had an idea for a forever. I, I would pay the workshop back, but I would take pictures of it and post it on the workshops uh game workshops instagram or whatever fuck yeah so i <laughs> you're like hey played some 40k today crump some boys um, i'm like hey bo gates i just dropped five hundred thousand dollars on the ground don't worry about picking it up oh yeah the um i i had an idea for a game that would be really cool long term uh and 
it was based on a game Mike and I were talking about because I found my old CD case of all my old game CDs and yeah. music CDs that friends would like rip music and give you the CD and be like, here's my fucking drive mix when you pick me up and shit, you know, and yeah, all, all that, all those, all those nerd things, people's games, they're like, oh, I can't find the jewel case here. Just take this. And so it's just this mishmash of like weird memories. And I can point to each one and go, I remember when I got that. I remember when I got that. Yeah. You know. And like I've got my original Command and Conquer discs in there, dude. What, a a yeah. CD case like that is basically like a a, a nerd's photo album, right? You it just is. open up, go, no, it oh, is. Oh, I it remember is. That's, that's my the childhood. Sims? Like I, I still have my original Panzer General. Yeah. I have my original Command and Conquer. Um, I have my original Starcraft. I mean, I, I thought about maybe auctioning some of those off as like you know for charity or something. Just just as kind of a funny thing, be like, hey, here's Texas original copy of Command and Conquer from 1995. Mm. And so one of the things I was thinking is one of my favorite old games I played a lot in junior high uh, was called Soldiers at War. It was yeah. done by SSI, and it was a really cool game because you start off with like a platoon of dudes, and they're all like like um portraits they're all like really shitty art portraits and they all have like bonuses and skills and if they die on a mission they're gone so you yeah. fight through the war and you have fewer and fewer dudes so you got to like really learn to take care of them but they start leveling up and getting crazy stuff and so what i would do is i would have a game that was called uh the platoon and yeah. it would be a platoon of dudes and it starts off and like late 41 early 42 in north africa and you're this platoon of this u.s army infantry unit and you're all like fucking green as fuck and you have no skills whatsoever and you're like captain has like skills and the lieutenants have skills and the sergeants have skills in the platoon so like as the captain levels up in rank or skills, he gives more passives to your platoon and their experience and their morale. You'd have that done for the lieutenants or the sergeants. So they'd have a personal character level, and then the rank would be their access to specific resources. Right, right, right. Instead right. of like leveling up, like you're you're now ma- sergeant major, and you're like, why am I still on the battlefield? Yeah, exactly. Like, why, why am I still in the trenches? Well, I mean, yeah. I'm not saying sergeant majors don't get in the trenches, but yeah, they but typically why, don't. They typically do administrative stuff. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's one of those things. It's where, like I'm a five star general. Just fucking charging into right. no, Stalin's no. base I, or I whatever. Say, I'm like, what? <laughs> actually, I think that would actually be an interesting mechanic of the game that yeah. you could actually rank your soldiers out of your game. So you'd have to like balance it out so they oh, didn't get yeah, too uh, promoted. That, oh, no, you could rank them out of the game. And as they rank out of the game, the passive bonuses persist. Because now they're in the military hierarchy and they're like, ah, my old platoon. <laughs> and so they like yeah. give it as they leave. You need extra requisition? I can send you some yeah. extra tanks. So as they leave, as those officers leave, um, yeah. like your NCOs get promoted to officers. But as your officers leave, you get to choose a permanent bonus for your guys. Because that's them looking out for your unit. Yeah, yeah. You know what I They'll mean? give you something like you, you. Right. You always have like a half track at the beginning of every mission. Right, or right, right. So you have this platoon of dudes, and I would say it's a series of missions where you can take like a squad or two at a time. It would probably be turn based. I'm thinking uh, a squad or two at a time. Yeah. Quick movement stuff, quick action points based, not like two bars or whatever. Because New XCOM thinks apparently we don't know how you know like subtraction works. But um, I, you know, time units, realistic movement and stuff around the battlefield and have it be the platoon and you release it in episodes. So episode one is like North Africa and North Africa. Your guys do the whole campaign. And then episode two, Operation Husky, you're invading Italy, you know, 
And then episode three, France, southern France. And then episode four, Germany. Yeah. May I make a suggestion? Sure. Uh, you could have a DLC pack where they pull a complete sea quest on it, where it's like, oh, this is your soldiers going through wars, like very recognizable, you know, theaters of operation. But there's like this one aliens come to your platoon. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> well, what I was going to do is have uh, I, I like the idea of Wolfenstein. Like, what if is like the last thing you would create as the DLC because you release it in episodes. Yeah. And it gets more expensive as time goes on. But when it first comes out, here's the first episode, 20 bucks. And then as time goes on, it gets more expensive because has more shit. Yeah. And in between updates, you add more stuff like, hey, we added 20 more rifles. Here's what they do. Blah, blah, blah. And you have uh, an RPG system for your dudes. So if they level up, they learn more skills. You get points and stuff. And I would have, have it probably be based kind of like Mountain Blade. So it's not like here's your class or whatever. But it's like, hey, you stab a lot of people. You're better at stabbing. You know what I mean? So if you have a guy who runs out there, like you have a guy who has no gun skill. And you give him like a Thompson. And he just sprays everywhere and manages to kill somebody. Oh, that gun skill goes up. But you could also have little subclass things you could choose like, oh, yeah, combat training, what have you. The guy has to leave the platoon to go get training for a bit or something. Uh, armor you could pull in. Yeah. And yeah, I would do that. And then if that game did well enough, you do like a sequel where it's like the Eastern Front or you do a sequel where it's like fucking Vietnam. Or you, you know just, what I mean? You <laughs> like just, just you just do an expansion up. pack. Yeah. And and that's what I mean is you make something where the graphics aren't important. Like, yeah. It'd be nice to have physics for stuff. So like you see guys ragged all around and stuff, and, you know, like it, it'd be nice to have like deformation of soil. I think yeah. that's cool. Like, yeah, but you just need sprites. Yeah. I mean, uh, literally, I, I, I don't give a fuck. It, it could be isometric sprites, like handsome boy sprites. So I don't I don't give a fuck. You could make it where you make an expansion for it, but then you make the expansion standalone or if you own the base game the the original game you can then take the expansions assets into the original game if you did so desire but you See, don't have there to, you go you don't yeah. have to buy the you it, so even though it's an expansion it can still just be its own standalone game if you're just like i want to do the wolfenstein expansion where right it's like, right yeah and that would be awesome like the yeah. wolfenstein some people just like yeah. one aspect of a game and then you have to like oh now i have to buy arm of five what, so, and then the 15 other expansions that come with it so basically world war ii jagged alliance yeah or I was going to say, you started to describe in the beginning uh, what essentially is what Fire Emblem does. It's like literally the same system. Cool. Where you have units, and if they die, they're gone forever. Yes. Yeah, so you only you have a limited the level. <laughs> and the levels get crazier and crazier because you're just a small band. You're not like a fucking army. You, you, you do have some people in reserve you can pull onto the field, but you can only take so many. And you have to decide on like what that's going to be. And if they're gone, they're gone. They all have their own personalities and stuff. Um, and so the first Fire Emblem uh, on NES was very much, I think it was like in the 80s, was very much like that. It's actually my favorite one of the whole series. Speaking really? of uh, Super yeah. Nintendo, yeah, um, there was a g series of games called, we only got one in the US, I believe it's Ogre Battle. Yeah. Ogre Battle 64. And, I remember that. Okay. I'm talking about the Super Nintendo version of Ogre Battle. And that had like a very intricate kind of like fame and balance system with your troops. And that could be that could be interesting. Like you could have, for example, in in a World War II game, you could have renown, 
You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this is that crackjack unit they got in the third third armored division, and these guys are badasses. And so, like, if you get enough renown, you have like a permanent renown boost where you have like a custom logo. So you guys mm-hmm. get like a shoulder patch, and your tanks have it like painted on it. So they're like, oh, you're the fighting hell marauders of Satan's butthole. Like, and you make and, sure it's randomly generated. So yeah, right, you're like, yes. oh, you guys are the mad spike fish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You guys are the horny womble tree. And you're like, what? You guys are the sex oranges. Yeah. Oh, it's starting to sound like punk bands. <laughs> yeah, that Coming does. Up next is sex oranges. <laughs> <laughs> up next, cunning lingus tangerine. Nice. Tequila mockingbird. Um, so I I have a confession to make, and everyone knows this already, but I fucking love van art. I love Van Art so much. I love wizards fighting dragons. I love wizards in Transams. I love old sci-fi book cover art. And I want to own a museum dedicated to Transam hood art, sci-fi cover art, old Van Art, just and the like. And I, I don't know how to classify that. So Eldonius, as an artist, what would you classify? Well, if we're talking yeah. about uh, difference between pulp art, which would be like your old sci-fi magazine covers and book covers, that would be that kind of period. If you're talking about a lot of that wizards riding unicorns and ladies on tigers, that is kind of in the lowbrow section of art. That's was probably- Francis Coppola. Hmm? Was it was the guy's name Francis Coppola who did all the Conan art where he's like just the loincloth and the sword and shit? Well, you are you thinking Frank Frazetta? Yeah, Frazetta, that's a guy. Yeah, Co- Frank- Coppola was a film guy. Yeah, I was okay. thinking Coppola is like the. Uh, yeah, I mix I mix them up. That's film. the mafia movie guy. Made those little mafia movies, and now he makes wine. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, Frank Frazetta oh, is like a very key figure in the whole like fantasy art development, sci-fi art development, because. Um, if you look at fantasy art and sci-fi art quite before like Frazetta came around, like the old Conan book covers, it all looked like pretty much derivative of like, you know, Romans or Greeks. Everybody's wearing like sandals and togas and stuff. It wasn't until Frazetta kind of came along that you had like the bare chested loincloth, big butt barbarians, like, you know, posing over corpses with lightning bolts. He really changed how the genre looked and that's why he was remarkable at the time because nobody had seen his kind of artwork on book covers up until then so yeah uh no i'm a big big fan of frank frazetta but yeah that would be um just in the firmly in like the illustration kind of genre so uh or style which i mean the sad, sad thing of like about a lot of the pulp art that you speak of, like a lot of that stuff was considered disposable back in the day. So it was almost immediately destroyed after it was used for the book covers and magazine covers. Really? Mm hmm. Wow. Because it happened during a time when there was like a big kind of schism in the art world. So classic illustration that was a little bit more grounded in the style of social realism at the time was being kind of phased out in the american cultural cold war Hmm. where like the say cia and certain foundations like the rockefeller foundation and certain colleges were seeking to redefine what american tradition was so uh, during that period they started emphasizing you know if we talk about a jackson pollock or a rothko like this splashing on canvas in the color squares just position 
that was held up by institutions funded by like the CIA through I think it's called the Farfield Foundation as the unique American art. And then they would go through and like bribe critics and reviewers to support this. And then they would promote it overseas. So illustration, as you would say, like, for an example, Norman Rockwell. Right, right, right. I mean, he's considered too much in the social realism. So which is a funny thing to say about a person who like defines Americana. Right. That is like this man is too socialist for us. So here's these splashy bucket paintings. And that's the thing we're promoting as the unique American tradition, all because social realism was more of a, like, a, a popular European style. And since Russia is very much connected to Europe, Russia was very good at social realism. So the whole plot was, it's like, well, Russians do this very well, but we've got this unique thing in America. We're going to promote that as the art of the free world instead. So it kind of created a schism where illustration art was not considered so much fine art anymore and thus disposable. So that's when you think of all those great pulp magazine covers and men magazine covers, sci-fi covers, it had no value in the fine art world. So they would just pile that shit out on the street and the, the dump like the dump truck would come take it away. That's that's terrible and interesting and mm. terrible. I mean, I I want I would love to have a museum of just the wild and wacky art where, you know, they would a guy would write his magnum opus pulp novel and go to his friend who's an artist and be like, hey, can you draw me like a fucking robot fighting a T-Rex? Yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. like, and you know, his friends who's the artist, he's like, well, how many arms does a robot have? You know, and <laughs> or it's just like, hey, you're the creative guy, you come up with it. Yeah, and it's like, ah, it's a robot. Looks like it's half made of a like a windmill and a glass dome. Yeah, and it has like fifty tentacles and arms. Why not? And yeah. a laser is coming out of the belly button. Yeah, because and the the like because the visual language and vernacular had it just been so established by that time. And I think it's hilarious that you you have this era of art that was just kind of quietly thrown away, not, not censored in any way of saying this bad, but just by saying this is less desirable and allowing like market forces, artificial market forces to like wash it away. Like yesterday's print. Yeah, that's correct. And that's why a lot of that art now does go for like high prices among collectors now, but you know, you're, you're not going to see like, you know, a bunch of pulp artists, like uh, hanging up in like the Louvre or, you know, the Guggenheim. Fair, fair. I no. mean, Frank Frazetta does have his own art museum in Maine, I believe. But yeah, there's like it's Maine, like, hub of the art world. Yeah. Hub of the uh, East Coast art world. The trendsetters come from Maine. Uh, Yeah, uh, there you go. Maine, if you want to go out in the middle of the forest, I can't remember what the museum's called, but it has Frank Frazetta's well, quote unquote, original paintings, because they really aren't original paintings because he spent his entire life just touching them up more and more. So you might see a particular painting that was used back in like the 70s for a Conan cover, but it doesn't look like that anymore because he just had all the paintings stacked up around his house. So he'd just be walking around his house and he'd be like, oh, I don't lo like how that looks anymore. And then would just start repainting over it. Wow. So, I mean, speaking of art in. Do you have any interesting tales of art and art creation you'd like to share, like stories of strange commissions or perhaps uh, like projects that just went really weird and really wild? 
Well, I'm fairly boring as an artist and I wasn't really doing like uh commission stuff until like all the mech warrior kind of taken off. I do get like kind of commissions that are asking for like jokes these days. So that's where a lot of these stories come from. Um, I believe I am working on a piece for Colberto right now, uh, commemorating when his mech, I believe what's the four legged mech called? Is it a scorpion? Well, yeah, a scorpion or a Goliath. Yeah, but. I believe uh, he in a game, he had his mech tear one of its legs off and then beat the mech to death with its legs. So I actually I get a lot of requests for people uh, for mechs beating other mechs up with the legs of other mechs. So it's usually like a locust leg or something. Yeah. But I believe my first commission through the Legion was that one of um, the hunchback duel where a they requested because during the game, I believe the hunchback was down to its last shot and the mech was crippled. So the uh, player said, you know, F it. I am going to load my pilot into the autocannon and shoot the last shot on the autocannon at the enemy. And I believe it was like a, a boxcar's head hit. Yeah. And just destroyed the head. So they were commemorating this fine act. So it's like, hey, uh, we want you to draw a mech warrior riding an AC-20 round, flipping the other pilot off as it wrecks into like, I believe it was maybe a vulture or something at the time. I don't quite recall. But that was like one of the early uh, commissions from the BPL folk. But uh, I've gotten some I've gotten some requests uh, from other people, but I can't say anything like too incredibly wacky. Okay, I'm going to disappoint you on that. That's end. healthy to hear. Uh, <laughs> it's not like, hey, draw a mech warrior <laughs> with huge feet, you know? And yeah, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not, not an urban mech in a store shopping for Wonder Bread. <laughs> yeah, oof. Uh, but I know, no. I, I know, Mike has some fucking hilarious. Yeah, how much would that run you? From uh, well, we'll run you a couple grand. <laughs> yeah, I, the I know. price of your dignity. Oof. Well, I know Mike had some really great stories as well from working around art shows and and everything else, uh, working in that art community. I mean, it's it's kind of weird thinking about it because I, I don't really consider myself an artist. I consider myself just a guy who writes and occasionally other stuff, too. But I know that like my aunt was very active in the art community. And I know when you're active in those communities, uh, helping go do the shows and stuff in person and getting involved and in setting up and taking down and all the technical stuff on the backside, you just hear these amazing, like crazy stories. Um, my sister, for example, told me a story in the art world where they were setting up for a show and they like took a break and just got so high. And and then they all went back in and they were like, yeah, we can just get really high and do this show. It's like, no problem. Turned out that was a problem because people were just like staring up into space on stage, you know, just staring up into space. And they're supposed to say a line and their mouth will open and then just like a noise will come out and they'll just uh. burst into laughter, you know, <laughs> and just like and, and everyone else dies laughing for 10 minutes, you know, and, and they're like, what the fuck? But um, yeah, I can't say I've ever had like too much uh, interaction with the fine, fine art world uh, as it is. Like I used to hang out with like animators and stuff. So I'd be able to like just hang around Nickelodeon at night while my friend worked. And I would just like, you know, be working on whatever project I had. And like, you know, you 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 come to understand how much coke those people do. <laughs> I, I could imagine. I mean, you have to draw every frame of something. 
animation has very tight deadlines and very big demands. So a lot of those people, you know, just to keep the motor running, you know, they're going to snort some rails. I could imagine like a, a documentary on like a kid's channel, like a mockumentary on a kid's channel where it's like some guys like, oh, I got to draw Goofy the Clown. <laughs> and he's just like doing a rail. Uh, you might like at least you see like the aftermath of it. Like he's like, oh, you want to come in and see me draw SpongeBob? I'm going to draw SpongeBob. I'm going to draw it. And he's like, face is just covered in white. Yeah. Underneath his nose. He's animating in real time. <laughs> like you just you're like, oh, my God. Uh, so I, I was going to let you or insist rather. I am going to insist you plug your stuff. So Eldonius, people want to find your shit. If people want to find your art, if people want to look at your comic you've drawn, if people want you to if, if they want to find you, where do they go? All right. Uh, the Wayne website for my comic project that's currently on hiatus is www.astray3. That's A-S-T-R-A-Y-3 dot com. You can currently buy art sticker prints and packs from my big cartel shop, which is www.astray3, A-S-T-R-A-Y-3 dot big dot com. And yes, the Marauder pack is coming I am working on one last piece of art. Then I got to get the magazine, the book cover done. And once those are finished, I will put them up on pre-order. And uh, otherwise, you can follow me on Eldonius Rex on Twitter or Instagram. That's where you'll see the newer stuff being posted. And I do have a Tumblr account that kind of gets forgotten about. Okay, got it. Got it. So you are you are everywhere they can find you and uh, commissions on hiatus uh, unless you want some of that Wonder Bread money. And then check in the sweet, fall. Sweet, sweet Wonder Bread check, money. Check in the fall for Wonder Bread people. Get back with me next fall about Wonder Bread commissions. Understood. Watch people just listen to this podcast and be like, I could do it with a Wonder Bread portrait. Honestly, um, <laughs> honestly, uh, I'd probably be do uh, I'd probably do furry commissions before I did the Wonder Bread commission. Really? <laughs> like you're putting it on that realm of just fucked up. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'll draw some animal people. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> like uh. Uh, uh, the thing is, is like you know the other side of uh, the stuff that's the offerings on the website. Because I was trying to combine like the kind of lowbrow art with like D and D, which is like you know kind of do like a big uh, big dad big daddy Eddie Roth kind of thing. If you know who that is, I do not. Uh, prolific I... car art guy. If you ever, oh seen yeah yeah, Ratfink. Yeah, Ratfink. I've if, seen Ratfink. Yeah, if you're talking about the lowbrow like kind of rockabilly kind of stuff, that's yeah, like yeah, the yeah. art form I try to combine over with like kind of D and D stuff. So you will find that stuff on my web shop also. Um, no, I was like, I was talking to you, like I did that last monster girl run and the whole thing is, it's like, oh, yeah. I'm doing monster girls. It was not a successful run, but it's like, I'm trying to keep most of the parts people with a few added, uh, you know, the few added monster parts to it. But, uh, you know, like, uh, I don't know. Like, sometimes I thought it'd be really kind of funny just to do like sexy dragon board paladin. Oh no. But you, like, you, you as, know, you know, I know, instantly, as soon as that does, a <laughs> shot has been fired across the bow a flare has gone up in the night and the beacons will be lit yeah uh you know what it's like kind of a thing is like that would be hilarious to do for a gag yeah but, but then I, you'd, you'd not live it down the the hordes of fur affinity have been alerted yeah it's like it, left for dead it kind of thing is like, <laughs> left for dead it's yeah. just like hordes of them running and they're like here's my oc and you're like ah <laughs> 
yeah, yeah. It's like I'm not looking to make a career out of it. Like right now, robots have pretty much thoroughly eaten my life, and as my excuse to not do anything yeah, what, else. What you're telling me is you're not saying you won't drive. You'll but do, you're you'll saying do you will do it. You'll you you're what you're saying is you will do it for absurd amounts of money. Um, probably not even that. I say like when I'll do it, I'll do it on my own terms. Because it almost sounded like you were describing like the bank robbery paradox. Like I surely would never rob a bank unless you know what I mean. Yeah. Like the stakes well, got to be high enough. Let's like make sure we keep the context of this in perspective. Because I said I would do that before I did the Wonder Bread stuff. So it's like I would do that art before I did Wonder Bread fetish art. Oh. Well, so we're we're uh, talking about degrees of desperation. We're not I, talking I, about. I like, understand. We're not I, talking I about you there. Everything you there. is fine. Levels. The, the snakes have to be falling out of the walls in your house and biting you and shit. Hey, they're very friendly and beneficial right, snakes. Tell us about that because we we haven't. Yeah, gotten we, to that. we we need to know about that. What do you know about snakes? What do you know about? Snakes? <laughs> what do you know about snakes? Listen, friends, there are many beneficial snakes in the world. They do not all need to be exterminated. Some are very helpful and can be beneficial to keep around. Now, where I live in the part of the world, I pretty much live in the woods among like uh, ravines, lakes, woods, brush. My house is just a few feet from the forest, which when you live that close to nature, like, you know, you cannot keep all nature away. It's a constant fight to keep them from just coming and just reducing your house to rubble so you learn which of the critters you keep around now my house i am blessed with snakes i have black rat snakes i have king snakes now both of these eight snakes bleh, are non-venomous and are non-aggressive the rat snake eats rats it is large it is like four feet long and its name is damien Okay, so it, it, you're Damien the snake, four feet long, following, yes. And the other snake, which I have come to call as a king snake, which, as you know, king snakes, they eat other snakes. That snake is called Jake. Jake the snake. Wrestling fans can put two and two together <laughs> because, as they know, Jake the snake's pet snake, his first one before it was crushed by earthquake and turned into snake burgers, was named Damien. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, so so you have these two snakes. Now you, you said that they just came from the woods and went in your house. They were probably living in the house before I lived in the house. Okay, so they they were just snaking around, and you you found them, and they're perfectly just chill with you. We have an understanding, right? Uh, when we run across each other, you know, you'll just be walking across, and you'll run across the snake, and you just let bygones be bygones you just wave and you walk on they rattle their little tail which they don't have rattles but they can shake their tail at a high enough frequency against leaves and grass that'll create like a like zzz kind of effect okay and and if you hear the zzz, it's it's bad news uh i mean it's not gonna strike rat snakes uh at least it can be handled very well they are constrictors Oh, all right. so they're not going to they'll they'll pose up, but they're not going to strike you. But he's got a very specific place that he hangs out. I know where he is. He runs patrols around the house every once in a while to eat stuff. So very chill. Not a problem. 
And you said you just occasionally go hear murder in the woods. Is, uh, I do yeah. hear murder in the woods. And sometimes uh, I do know the snakes get up in the walls of the house and fuck <laughs> and fuck in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see the skins up hanging out of air vents. Uh, yeah, you'll just like it's like fucking alien, man. You just get like, <laughs> yeah. oh, what's that? But it's alien if like you saw the xenomorph every once in a while, every once in a while go like, oh, hey, there it is. And it hey, just leaves It just leaves you alone. And it just leaves you alone. Yeah, it's not interested in you. It just sticks the little mouth out and then it crawls into a vent. Yeah. It's like hiss and goes away. And you're like, okay. Hey, and later. you're just like, yeah, don't worry about it. They're fine. Like they're clearing out rats in the in the vents. <laughs> oh god. But you'll just hear like a thump in the attic. And they're like, yeah, it's probably a snake falling over up there or something. Either that or it's that family of chipmunks that tried to move in. Yeah, that sounded tragic because um, you described the family of chipmunks. And in my head, I saw like that scene in The Godfather where he gets shot by the car. It, you know, the music starts going up and then you hear the violin and then just pop, 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 pop. And he drops the bag of oranges. You know, like that's <laughs> that's the way because you describe these chipmunks as going in and out of the house. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's where the snakes live. Oh, yeah. You know, no, like uh, I, I just watch these chipmunks just run around trying to do stupid shit around the house. Because they'll try to climb stuff that they can't climb, but they'll be very persistent about trying to climb it. So you'll just watch it jump up, hit the wall, fall down, jump up, hit the wall, fall down. And then, like, they get really excited. They find this hole that's under the steps, which is like Damien's hangout. I'm like, oh, oh, chipmunks, you don't want to be there. You, you, you don't want to set up shop there of all places. And you know what? Uh, occasionally I stopped seeing. Well, eventually I stopped seeing chipmunks. Yeah. I mean, nature finds a way, right? It certainly does, sir. It all right. Does. So I was going to ask all the artists here uh, a question that is 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 a big or small question as you want to make it. But any advice to people starting out? I hear that a lot as a YouTuber, and I usually tell people not to do it. Just because it's a pain in the ass. Practice. Yeah. Learn learn your technique first. So the musicians is practice. Thank you, Carnegie Hall. Well, yeah. Well, okay. The other thing is you practice. You'll you'll get the technique there. Right. But as far as writing stuff, whether it's serious or like just goofy ass lyrics, it, I mean, like, and this sounds fucking cliche, but like, it, it comes from the heart. If there's something that's meaningful to you, it's easier. And you, yeah, and you know the basics of like what meter is, so it's not all disjointed and shitty. And you know, like, you know, uh, you know how to structure something like a rhyming scheme and meter and that sort of stuff. So you'll so, be able to come up with stuff. Yeah, right. So what you're saying, uh, what I'm hearing is practice and learn the basics and then just write what you know yeah just do what you want if you want to get really good at something more technical or more formal then yeah you got to do it i don't you know i don't i can barely read sheet music and i'm not super interested in learning the theory or even being that good on technique i mean as, as far as technique goes i'm pretty mediocre but i just do it for fulfillment and i, I have fun with what i do with what i got there you go man mr aldonius advice all right, uh, since Goat already kind of covered the uh, practice angle. Now, it's very tricky to give this kind of advice to people because it has to be taken in good faith. 
with the uh, intention of improvement because practice alone will lead to refinement, but it might not necessarily lead to improvement. Right. Doing the same thing the same way all day, every day does not make you a master. I would say the main thing is persistence to -hmm. keep trying to keep shooting at it and try a variety of different styles and techniques. A lot of people, when they start out, they start out because they're shooting for like a style. Right, right, right. They say like, oh, I like anime. I want to draw anime. I want to be the next Hayao Miyazaki or um, fuck, what's his name? Um, or uh, Kurt Cobain or whatever. Uh, correct, correct. And what they don't consider about somebody like Miyazaki is that man practice a lot of art that was not anime they did life drawing they studied anatomy they studied how people move they studied painting now a lot of the problem is is when you go into something just aiming to do a style you're not learning the techniques and intelligence that's underneath that like you're just looking at tropes visual tropes of the medium and trying to replicate them without knowing what the genesis of those things are So usually what I would recommend for most artists is you need to expand your horizons, try a lot of things, learn the basics of construction, learn anatomy, learn to wrap stuff around. And over time, as you learn these techniques, you're going to find out what you like and what you don't like. And you will come up with your own preferred interpretations of, you know, of presenting a figure or an icon to the audience in an exciting and understandable way. Uh, So that's like the main thing. See, me, myself, I don't consider myself like a raw natural talent. I kind of usually, when I think upon my own experience and development as artist, I kind of feel like I brute forced it. It's just like, I'm just going to keep banging my head against this wall and trying to figure things out until it works. But that's inspiring in a way because it says, I got to this amazing place and you are an amazing artist. You get to this amazing place by just going, fuck it. I didn't do it today. It's getting done tomorrow. And you just keep swinging. I mean, that's that's great to hear. I, I mean, mean, hopefully you eventually do. You learn the patterns and you learn the breakthroughs. And as I would kind of say, there are better technical mech artists out there. I would not consider myself the top shelf mech artist. Now, the difference I bring to the table is I have a lot of experience outside of drawing mechs. So I might not be the best technical artist that's out there making mechs today. But the thing I can do is I can make them dance. I can make them move. I can make them do stuff and do it in dramatic and convincing ways because that comes from doing comic books. It comes from studying illustrators like Frank Frazetta. You know, you can build the narrative into the painting or the drawing when you do it. So like I said, like I may not be the best mech artist, but I definitely bring new and other tools from outside the table because until like I had started doing work for you, like I didn't do like any mech art. I didn't do a lot of sci-fi art because I'm a little bit strange as an artist. Like, a lot of times I'm going to create something, I have to have a purpose for creating it. So I'm not going to sit around like before in the before times. It wasn't like, oh, I should draw a robot. But I'm like, why would I draw a robot? 
like what would be the reason for me? Sometimes I can use the excuses I'm developing a new technique or trying something out. But normally I'm not going to sit down one day and say, I'm going to draw a big titted elf because, okay, of, yes. because I'm going to because I'm going to sit there and say, like, well, why am I drawing big titted elves? But so like when I approached you to help out, you know, it was during the it was largely during, you know, quarantine. Yes, that's that that thing that lasted two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like the curve. And it's like, OK, I see Tex. He's going to work on the Mackie. There's not a lot of art for the Mackie. No, <laughs> but I would love the opportunity, just a reason to start doing these sci-fi illustrations. So that's like what largely what motivated me to approach you is like, oh, yeah, that'd be a great excuse like to draw some mechs. I like mechs. I could do something like that, something I don't normally do. So it was like a perfect reason to develop those skills. Yeah. And now I make you slave away. It's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you and uh, everybody else I end up working for. Oh, God. It's it's amazing, though, to see that you you took something you'd never drawn before and went from not doing that. And after building all these skills to learn and adapt and broaden your horizons, you do one swat at that. And they're like the official company comes out of the blue and is like, hey, you want to do it for us? Yeah. And one yeah. swat. That's like going. You have to understand how crazy that is from my perspective, because that's like saying, yeah, I tried out for the baseball team and um, MLB gave me a job, <laughs> you know, and you're just like, oh, I guess, I, yeah, moving up in the world. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. It was it was a very big surprise. And I don't know. I don't know if there's like a lack of mech artists out there or people who do that kind of that kind of robot combat, you know, military artwork, because, yeah, it's just like I did the Mackie uh, and like, yeah, that's the first early swats at it and all the stuff we did for, you know, Jacob Cameron. Yeah. Oh, man. And, what a great job at that. And all Mike, the when stuff. Mike and I saw Jacob Cameron done, all we could do was start going at what music we were going to put in the background, like the synth wave and all the other just shit. We were like, yes, we got to make this guy really just grungy looking. And oh, it's so good. He's like 1980s personified. Like if, if you saw a picture of that anywhere, as you go, that's like what, 84, 83? Like your head just automatically associates it with it. And you did such a great job bringing that up. Yeah, it's like uh, what a beautiful man to start with. It's like if it would have been Ian Cameron, Ian Cameron looks a little boring compared to Jacob Cameron. Yeah, Jacob Cameron looks awesome. It, like Jacob Cameron looks like he he like, does rails in the morning and then finishes the day with like Syroquil. I mean, he he looks like he fucking parties and fucks and has a limo that's like eight miles long. Honestly, yeah, his, his entire inspiration when we got to that was like, he's pretty much pro wrestler. He's he's Sergeant Slaughter with glasses. Yeah, except he runs the government. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's that's the thing is like, imagine if somebody like this ran the government. And it's you did a great job on that. And then by the time we got to the rifleman, you and I started like coming up with really funny ideas. Uh, like I was like, hey, put the Colt Python vent rib on the rifleman. Yeah, too, cause yeah, it's, yeah. It's sold to the Royal Regiments and it's upscale. <laughs> and so it's got that vent rib on it. And now that I we've said that, a lot of people are going to go back and look. Yeah. And like uh, Ian Cameron, when he's presenting Starlink, can you make the Capellan representative look like being the merciless? Yes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's always great yeah. when like you're, you're, you're scanning the chats like during the uh, episode premieres and you see people like pick up on that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why did you guys do that? And we're 
we're just like giggling on the sideline. I mean, I feel the same way when Mike and I are putting stuff together and we just start putting in these amazing Easter eggs. You know, we're just like, what goes here? What goes here? And we just start laughing maniacally because we're like, what is what, is Golden Corral going to be open then? Like, I remember Mike asked that was was Golden Corral going to be open in this point of time? What would they even be like? And we're like, oh, yeah, well, Let's just make a really gross Golden Corral commercial. Now it's just become part of this meme of the fabric of everything because Mike and I bounce ideas off each other so well. And it's it's like this this really crazy brotherhood when it comes down to creating stuff. And that's amazing because you you look at how you have an idea, a thought, and that's one of the crazy powers of being an artist is to have a really weird abstract thought in your head, what if, and then you make it. Yeah, I mean, that is like the magic of the entire thing is you can bring something that didn't exist or have a visual representation beforehand and you can bring that to life. Right. And it's it's amazing. I mean, it's it's utterly amazing. Now, Mike, if you could give anyone advice starting out either editing or playing the piano or getting into computers or any of the many, many things you do, what advice would you give them? Uh, well, to quote the wisest person I know. Don't do it. It's a pain in the ass. Wow. That's fair. Hey, man, you said it right and true. Look, if you want to get into editing or video production or anything like that, essentially, you kind of, it, it like everyone's like, what kind of camera can I get? Or what you just use your phone. If you just want to study film or just make like a quick video, you can do it with your phone. If you want to learn how to do good lighting, do it with your phone. They've shot whole movies on like iPhones. Back in like 10 years ago, they did. But yeah. That was like, like, I was an ad, but yeah, but the, I, I know it's an ad, but it's film festivals. Yeah. Film festivals. You'll probably see a lot of people do that still. But yeah, that was like a big ad with Apple back in like 10 years ago. They were trying to say like, it, see, I'm like, hip. I, I know things they that put happen. Like a, they put an iPhone on like a tripod of this big movie. And it's like, yeah, they maybe shot that scene. And I'm like, they're not, they're going to rent. They have two other cameras they'd rather rent. And the camera operators are not going to be happy with that. Uh, but if you want to get into like actually making videos and stuff or editing, it, it's like you just have to know what you want to make. If you're not sure what you want to make, then don't do it. Don't force yourself to make something you don't want to get into because then you get frustrated with yourself because you learn this this skill that you don't feel like is going to be ever good enough or whatever. I'm not saying don't go out and try things, but I'm saying know what you want when it comes to editing because it's not a easy endeavor. It's not like well, yeah. art where you can get a pencil, which is analog by itself and just start drawing. You could do that easily. You That's, don't even need electricity. Yeah. So what you're saying is like you, to figure out if you're good at drawing, it's cheap. If you want to figure out if you're good at getting into shit, it's really expensive to find out you hate it a year in. Like if you want to do like Twitch streaming and and like uh, any kind of YouTube content where you're kind of put yourself out there and hustle and work your ass off and all that. There are people out there who can tell you exactly how they do it. But how you do it is always going to be unique, much like being an illustrator with their own art style. You're not going to go out there and be the next PewDiePie. That person already exists. You're going to be whoever you are. Well, it's and it's so like, it's, you have to um, like take the wise advice of text, where it's like it's a pain in the ass. Don't do it. Well, it's it's like just um, go out and do another hobby that's something you definitely want to do. Think about it. Well, one of the things I remember is I was I was talking. I was talking with a friend of mine that I used to do radio with and he was, uh, he was a DJ. He knew music. He, he was, he was a music motherfucker. I mean, and he was the guy who would just be like, Oh, you name a year and he could name the top hundred. 
You know what I mean? So he was he was a very much an American top 100 guy. He knew all of this awesome pop culture music history. And so what he said is he says, when you start off um, playing, uh, when you start off and look at these bands that start exploding like the Beatles, you find this band that explodes like the Beatles and you realize they're the right guys at the right time. If a few years later, those same right guys at the right time come along, try as they might, they will not be the Beatles. They will reach none of the Beatles' success. So he says, you find guys at the right place at the right time. A few years after the Beatles, oh, wow, Led Zeppelin comes along. You know, well, Led Zeppelin is really good. You know, Rolling Stones come along. Well, they're really good, too. But try as they might, they couldn't ever be the Beatles. And so the problem is with, like, when you look at artists you want to emulate, you're not going to ever be those people. But you can borrow, like, lessons and ideas from them going forward, you know, and kind of make your own, I guess, Jeet Kudo this. Uh, I would actually say that's very close to, I want to interject some comic book history here. Uh, Jack Kirby was one mm-hmm. of the most prolific artists ever. And during his height, like, a lot of people were trying to imitate Jack Kirby. But, and this also goes for Frank Frazetta, because everybody was trying to emulate him. But... You know, no artist was going to be the artist that Jack Kirby was or Frank Frazetta was. No. So Jim Steranko, who is another popular comic book artist, uh, he grew up in Jack Sh- Jack Kirby's shadow. And he was for a while was trying to emulate Jack Kirby. But eventually he said, OK, I can't beat Jack Kirby because there's only one Jack Kirby. So he said, well, what if instead I offer people this? So what he started emphasizing was is like these big extravagant layouts and became more of a graphic artist in his comic book pages. So he just offered something alternative to Jack Kirby and he gained fame off of that. Well, and it's it's one of those. Uh, sorry, Mike, you were going to say. Yeah, sorry. Uh, no, I was going to point out something, too, because I just realized because I, I, I wanted to circle around and say this uh, about, you know, don't do it. It's a pain in the ass. Um, I'm not telling you don't get into editing. I'm not telling you don't become a filmmaker. Just don't try to shoot to become the star. Do it because you want to do it and enjoy it. Like when we do the courtesy flush, I tell people, if you give me money on Twitch, that's not going to me. That's going to the fucking Jeff Bezos. We don't get that. I'll get $100 every so often, but I don't get anything. And if I do, I just put that back into the stream. I don't want money from this because it's, well, it's something I, mean, I do half acidly. Yeah, right. And that's the same with my YouTube channel is I tell people at the end of the month, like, get the fuck off the Patreon. If you got shit to do, like, this is a money hole you throw to me and I yeah. throw at other people. So, so like what I'm saying is like, even if you still want to make money, I'm not saying that's a that's a problem at all. That's just a personal choice for me. Yeah. And- uh, but what I'm what I'm trying to say is. If you're going to go out and do this, do it because you enjoy it, not because you want to be the best at it. If you don't enjoy it, you will never be the best at it. Well, and it's it's one of those things that it's a lot fucking easier to do art and enjoy art and create things. Yes. When you have a day job and the day job takes care of the heat, the bills, the everything else, and then you can enjoy the art. You don't depend on it. You don't go, oh, my God, I got to finish this or all oh, my cat's going to die because, you know, like you can't afford the vet yeah. bill. And and you're because I know a lot of people who want to go to art school and be artists. But I one of the greatest quotes I ever heard was from an engineering professor 
who said, yeah, if you go, if a lot of people out there think they're going to get fucking rich starting their own goddamn business, and you think you're going to only work half days, and he leaned over and he goes, I ran a construction business. You do work half days. The first 12 hours, the second 12 hours. <laughs> and I mean, he told people how it was. Like, if you struggle and it's your name on the side of that truck or the company, and you're working your ass off to make sure it doesn't fail. It's a completely different experience. You don't go, wow, it's fun being my own boss. You're like, oh, my sweet fucking Jesus. I have to keep all these people fed. Yeah, I, I generally think that in most most creative people and artists, it's more about are you compelled to create this kind of art beyond enjoyment? Because a lot of as you know, a lot of the creative process, it's can be lonely and miserable it's not always fun sometimes it's just sitting there grinding things out sometimes you'll get a project and you just sit on it until like three days before you have to like get it out and you're just like all right i gotta focus and it's not fun when you have to do that no no it's like that's the thing it's like i hear you know a lot of people per, like put up artists is like oh well this is like enjoyable creative heart like work yeah and like they only work when they're in the mood and they only work when they're happy and it's like you can't do a business off of that you can't be a professional the whole thing is is like you got to comp be compelled to get in there and like do the quality work even when it's not fun even if yep. you would like rather be doing other things so yeah it's like one of those things is like if you're compelled to do the work i mean otherwise it's probably just best as a hobby Right. And it's hobbies can make money, you know, they can. And and that's where the allure comes for people who want to turn their hobby into a profession. And then they they try to trick themselves into thinking that this is all going to be fun all the time. And they they'll go, oh, no, I'm, I would I know that I it's like, no, no, no. We, we all know that you're assuming that you if you have the passion that i hate when people say if you have passion then your job's not a job i'm like I'm like no then you don't have you. boundaries <laughs> yeah <your> exactly <laughs> you're, that, that's where you're a manic asshole yeah. you know where <laughs> you're just like i gotta create something <laughs> you know yeah yeah if your passion if you have a passion for art and you just keep drawing art all the time and you know you get paid for it but you don't care about it then yeah that is your passion like if you don't even care that you're getting paid and you're like okay cool and you just keep drawing that's someone who's so passionate that they're blinded to the fact that they're getting paid for it. They just keep drawing because that's all they know. That's not saying you can't have a passion for something, but to say that that about your job is a little bit disingenuous in a way. And it's kind of like, really, are you that passionate about IT help desk? Like, what, so I'm just like, you. those are kinds of buzzwords that people have said, I think, especially in like the early 2010s, that was a very common phrase. Let your passion drive you well, into... It's a job interview thing, yeah, too. It's like a job interview thing, and then it's kind of adopted into society as this like, you have to be passionate about whatever you do, and it's like, no, you don't. That's the most passionate drywall man I have ever seen. I know. <laughs> he goes home at night and he puts up drywall. He just dreams about drywall. Like, yeah, it's just like it is worth his arch nemesis is Kyle. Like, you know, <laughs> it, it, you got all these fucking people who want to think that like somehow passion is the only way to get anywhere anywhere in whatever you like. And it's like, no, the passion is somewhere else. It's not guided by art alone. Right. I mean, it's inspiration. It's well, I, I know what you're saying is the ability to feel inspired and the passion to see it through. Mm -hmm. And that's it's a hard. rare it's a rare combination. Well, Incredibly it's, rare. It's, it's hard because let's say you make a beautiful violin and that is your hobby. 
make a beautiful violin and it's gorgeous in every which way and you sell a beautiful violin and you make like $10,000 off it. But let's say that that was the only guy who's ever going to buy a beautiful violin off you. Yeah. So you then start thinking in your head, oh, I'm going to I'm going to get more into this. And you sell another one for way less and then another one for way less. There's a and, lot of people who can relate with that story. Right. Because I think all of us, uh, even you at this point, like you've created a lot of really cool stuff that so you might have sold one thing. You're like, oh, people love this. And then you go to make some other stuff. And then you literally go, no one's paying attention. To this. Oh, yeah. I mean, it happens a lot. It's 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 like you can pour like all your effort and passion into something and like, you know, the best technical skill, make the most beautiful thing. Yeah. And if it just does not hit like the audience right yeah. or the wind right or it's not released at the right time. Yeah, it can just completely go under the radar. You, you want to know uh, one of the best examples of uh, somebody who really wants to make something and still has their passion for it, doesn't want to turn it into a job, is uh, Bill over at Games Made for Cardboard. Games Made of Cardboard. Because he's doing a Doom movie. Yeah, I saw that. And he says, it's going to take me about two or three years to make it. And he says it nonchalantly, but it's like, that's a big time commitment. But he's doing it like a really sta- great he's doing all the detail on everything even if it's like it looks a little weird he's like no i'll put the lights in here and he's taking his sweet time on everything he's doing yeah and he's enjoying every second of it and you want, that's the best way to do it yeah you want to hear a tragic thing oh yeah go ahead it's like yeah he's gonna make his doom movie and then he gets the D or the dmca takedown yeah <laughs> well it's gonna be on youtube so i yeah, doubt it'll here, be here's here's yeah. what's gonna happen yeah if that happens, I will take his copy of it and I will ensure. We'll call that, it wood. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I will ensure that it is put up on the Internet Archive and as many other places as I can Yeah, to uh, place it and have it respected as a piece of art for future generations to appreciate. Yeah. We, we would never let something like the work he's done, like it destroyed by no, corporate no. interests because that's fuck no. He's such a solid and good working person. It's he works just like, hard all day and then comes home. Yeah, he like goes, he works as a cleaner and then comes home and does Okay, we made for him, we sent him this this plaque. It was a fake uh like YouTube plaque for getting ten thousand subscribers out of cardboard using like markers and stuff. And I cut all that out and I drew that and I was like, I would I did it with just a Sharpie and scissors, and I'm sitting here struggling making this fucking plaque, and I'm like, this dude takes like video game art and cuts it up in like a day and has a full set. I'm like, this is somebody who's way better at something like this than I, and he just still works a full time fucking job. And I'm yeah. like, w- works a yeah. hard fucking job and comes home and is so creative. Cause I could not imagine taking something that's in all these tiny little pieces and then yeah. glue it together and make it look all nice and neat and then place it in a 3d way and then light and shoot it in such a way that it actually like whoa that that's an amazing yeah. effect well uh, and and the other thing too is like you don't need to also assume that you're not a passionate person because you don't feel like you have an interest that's a self-deprecating thing first of all everyone has their own kind of perception of what inspiration is to them and so when someone says the word inspiration, the context of that is changed based on who receives it in their brain. And so what your inspiration is based on what my inspiration is and what yours is, is always going to be different. And so if you're someone like, I just, I've always wanted to draw, but I just don't have the inspiration or oh, I don't feel like I'm up for it. It's not that you don't want to draw. It's just that you have other issues going on 
that you need to work on first in order for you to take the steps that you want to take. And maybe art isn't where you wanted to go in the first place. Maybe that's just a a starry-eyed look into the sky. Maybe there's something else out there. But for a lot of people, you really just have to work on the self. Are because we, oh, you, are we getting into a Maslow's hierarchy of needs kind of thing here? Almost, yeah. It's like you, you kind of have to work on the self before you can really... Uh, dive into something and understand what your own inspirations are because if you just sit there and you, you're like all I ever want to do is just play video games and uh, you know come home from work and just play video games I don't really have inspiration to do other things or whatever and it's like it's not like there's nothing wrong with that but also that if you feel like that is holding you back that's what you have to work on not the art not the editing that you need to learn how to 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 better put yourself in a position where then you feel like the inspiration is coming on because there's a reason why a lot of people say artists are built different. They're wired different and how they get things done. And they feel it's, it's not, it's like they've already overcome that one part of themselves, or maybe they just bury it deep somehow. Some people are really good at repression, but it's like, you just find a way to reach that and then you can work on the things you want. And they go, yeah, I just draw fucking Mozart. I don't know that Mozart's a musician, but you draw these amazing fucking pieces of art. And then you go, yeah, that was fun. I did that last weekend. And and that's where you kind of get to that headspace if that's what you're interested in. But you got to work on the self. That's the that's my core thing. That's one of the reasons why I struggle so hard when it comes to editing. Like, I try so hard to not drag my feet on anything. I really do. I beat myself up constantly. And it's one of the reasons why Tex and I relate so much because we do the same things. We relate because it's like we just beat each other beat each other up on trying to get things done. And it's hard because there are a lot of things of the self that we're still working on. And yeah, it's an ongoing project. Everyone, oh, no. Yeah. yeah. Very much in reference to what you're talking about right there. Like... I purposely engineer in my life to where the most exciting thing and entertaining thing I do during the day is art. Oh, okay. Because I used to play a lot of video games. I used to oh. be addicted to video games. Yeah. But eventually it was just like, well, I was kind of helped because video games were coming grindier and grindier. Yeah, it becomes a job. Because you're sitting there saying like, oh, if this is going to be a job and this feels like a job, why don't I just spend this time? Part of the reason we play so many old games over here. Yeah. 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 So I just stopped playing video games and started just like erasing things that were like instant gratification. Yeah. Because usually it's like if you feel like you don't want to do something that's more labor intensive, it's because you're doing it in comparison to something that gives you pleasure faster so what made you go to that that mindset that's not like something most people would think to do what what made you decide to go ahead and sort of cut out these things that you felt were unnecessary well you know i have a lot of personal aspirations it's like well i want to make art i want to do this or that and then you just sit in like the cold light of day and examine like well why am i not doing as much artwork Mm. as i want why am i not developing the way i want and you can sit there and say maybe it's even like a is a Marie Kondo kind of thing. It's like, what does not make you happy? And the thing is, is I'm playing a lot of video games. I am miserable. Am I miserable because video games make me feel guilty for not working? Mm. So eventually you just kind of cut that out. And it's like, okay, now, yeah, it's don't mind working all the time or working on art because it's almost like the same as doing anything else. Mm. <laughs> no, no, that dude, that's that's actually a pretty solid plan. I I know that 
uh, so like I, I, and we're, we're not, okay, we're still good. But, um, I remember we talked about this on the MMO podcast Yeah, where we had a lot of friends that we lost to the great MMOs. Yeah. Where you'd see people just sink. They dis a fucking peer. And, and you'd, yeah. years later, you'd wonder what happened to them. They look like they'd been on heroin or they'd gained yeah. like a hundred pounds. I mean, it's not so much of a problem these days. It was mm-hmm. back then. Cause those were new and the amount of busy work it required to, and still does to some extent, but I don't think most people, at this point really care anymore um but back then it was like everybody i knew was jumping into it and i was only immune to it slightly because i had other stuff in my real life that i was trying to get into like filmmaking and all kinds of other stuff and i was like well this is cutting into my video game time so i was like let me weigh what do i want to do more and i enjoyed making stuff like piss Mm -hmm. or whatever video stuff I was doing. And I was like, this is way more fun because it's, I've done video games for most of my young life. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. But that doesn't mean I stopped playing video games. Mm -hmm. It just meant that I wasn't playing stuff like MMOs as much as I like. Like I, the most I play nowadays, if I play an MMO is maybe final fantasy 14. Cause you could just turn that one off. They, they even like remind you that you should go take a rest. It's one of the only few MMOs that seem to be like, yeah, you could do that if you want, but you know, whatever. Yeah, it's not I, a big deal. I learned that it's going to be here when you get back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like I learned that. Uh, yeah, like I I hadn't played video games for a long time, and I learned that I am very vulnerable to kind of instant gratification, oh. like that kind of rabbit hole. Like one more game, one. more I feel game. like I am too. Yeah. Yeah, because at the beginning of the year, it's just like you know, since now I have a vested interest in BattleTech and the development of the game series and tried to learn more about the lore and knowledge and to be more educated about it. Well, Hairbrain Schemes has that BattleTech game. Now, I'm not a good like online player yeah. or like a Twitch, like Twitchy shooter kind of guy. Yeah. So it's like, oh, Hairbrain Schemes, they released that BattleTech game. It's turn based, looks like fun, you know, looks very cool. I'm going to play it. I ended up spent dumping like well over 150, 200 hours into it, like within a short period of time. Yeah, that's it's because some people are like, well, that's rookie now. But yeah, you're playing it like weeks over time. And he's yeah. got a he's like, you, you know, you're your full time artist job. You don't have to like really leave as much as most people. Right. I'm assuming. Uh, like you don't have to go out at nearly as much to like an office or anything. Well, see, yeah, I work a day job as a graphic designer. Oh, okay. okay. Then I, I come know home. Well, thing is, graphic design is not my like. It's <laughs> something you just got to do. It's it's my day job, but you know, to get all the extra. That explains artwork. why your logos are so solid. Then I was like, you, I didn't know you were a graphic designer. Top, I'm like, I just assume you picked it up somewhere. I didn't know you worked as well. That's kind of cool. Oh yeah, I like I very much learned that education okay. on the job. I bullshit my way into a graphic design job, and then just you learned, fucking nailed it. Jesus, on the job, <laughs> and there's not a lot of illustrators that also have graphic design. No, jobs. no, and so you know to get all the stuff done for say like text talks BattleTech or for Catalyst or stuff that I do for DreamPod Nine or commissions like i have to pretty much come home right after work and work on that stuff yeah but here's a video game i am completely addicted to this video game where i'm just playing it non-stop mm. and the thing is is like for most people you might play a video game for escape you know you know pleasure but most of the time like i would just play that game like five hours straight yeah. six hours straight and all i do when i stop playing is just kick myself in the ass 
yes. for not doing work because I was getting behind on deadlines at the time. Hmm. But I would always like, oh, no, I'm going to boot this up. I'll, I'll play for like 30 minutes or something and get to work. No, I easily turn into like three or four hours. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. Easily. And that just be like, I realized like that's just my kryptonite when it comes to work. And I really cannot go back to it. Like I may once like every great while, like uh, do something like Brigadier. Oh, yeah. Or something like that. Where it's Brigador? Like Brigador. Sorry. Brigador or like pinball on the iPad or something like okay. a short thing. But yeah, I got to be very careful about video games these days. Yeah, I, I feel like that advice is pretty solid for almost everybody uh, because there are a lot of people who will never admit that they have like that kind of addiction with a video game because that's a that was a whole rabbit hole many years ago about how video games are addictive and ruining kids' minds and all that stuff. And it just ended up being like hogwash. But the addiction part of it is still like actually still true because you know we we desire busy work and obviously self-gratification you fill up all the bars and you get a thumbs up and that's a ah yeah i did that that whole thing that's all like mmos were like hugely good at doing um and i i started separating myself from it for very similar reasons but i also realized like in order for me to do the stuff i wanted to do i had to leave the house and i had to go out and do all this stuff and I had to go out and explore the world and and be a different than just a sit at home game because I as I said growing up all the way from my childhood all the way to my teens and even through college I did nothing but play video games like it was just no. constantly there or I was working on mods or something. I was a very heavy gamer for a long time, uh, but it was just like eventually you got to decide what's important. Yeah, and the thing is, you don't live forever, people. No. And, you know, <laughs> also, it's, up to you. it's up to you. Like what you define yourself in your life, that's entirely yours. Don't feel like if all you want to do is play video games, like that's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Just don't feel guilty about it. Um, But when you want to go do something else, you have to realize that that is a crutch that will hold you back. If you're if it's something you want to if you want to take art professionally, you do have to cut a lot of things out. Um, And. I, I'm very fortunate that in the work that I do here, we get to do like mostly hobby stuff. But if I was to do filmmaking professionally, like and and constantly just like everyday editing and not whatever else I'm doing, um, yeah, I would never be able to play any video games. Period. I, I would I wouldn't even be able to touch Yakuza. I've been playing Yakuza Zero for like. For, I, haven't even, I haven't really progressed the story as you saw. Yeah, I've just yeah Mike is obsessed with becoming the slot car king of Tokyo. I just like it's something I can load up and then play for a few minutes, beat some people up, and then I turn it off because I need something to like turn. I need something to tune Tex's voice out of my head sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, and that's not a dig at Tex, but I listen to his voice like pretty much daily, and he hates it. No. I don't. It's he, just he, like he he pitch tunes it. He's like, hey, check out my it's, new. It's become like it's like if I was an aircraft pilot and I just got used to the noise of the airplane. That's what it starts to become. Ah, so I, I just listen for. So now I just start to he listen for stuff where he messes up, and that's it. So when you get used to somebody like that, you can then pinpoint where they're fucking up on their voices or things like that, and it makes it easier to work with them. If it's somebody new, you can't tell. If that's like a speech impediment or maybe they lick their lips extra afterwards or whatever they have to do when you edit the audio, it's a little different. But yeah, when you work with someone long enough, you just get used to the way they talk and you can find it. You can just literally just go, okay, this is a part here. I know that's not correct and cut. It's not like I'm going static, 
but when I do the podcast, I do because I was already fucking here. So I'm like, I kind of have to learn how to do that. Uh, one of the biggest surprises when I started working with techs on Tech Stocks Battletech is uh, like after I sent him the stuff and he got the email and it's like, oh, OK, cool. He wants to work with me. He wants to give me a chance. Is was like we had that first Discord call and I do jack shit about Discord when I first started. So it's like I'm setting it up again. Like I hear Tex's voice on Discord and it's exactly the same as hearing him talk on Tex Talks Battletech or the Space Station 13 streams. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, shit, this is just his voice. It's not tuned. It's not adjusted. It's not no. anything. Well, I mean, I, I I sometimes have to speak up sometimes, but because um, I when he does. So when he knows he has to do long narration, that's when he does the because he'll only sp- he speaks up when it's like he's doing like a character. But like his normal voice is literally what you hear in text talks battle tech. It's literally that. Um, and it's because it's the Barrett's esophagus and yeah. a bunch of other things. It's like he smonks. He has smonks. to be very careful about the way he records stuff. Yeah. Um, so it, it can get kind of monotone. And in his in his uh, discord sounds like that uh, as long as he doesn't touch the fucking mixer in his room. I, Your hands I, off of it. I I think I accidentally bumped it a few times. I think you kept messing with the knobs. I'm like, you don't bump a knob, man. That shit was turned all well, the way up to 11. There were, however, no, I'm me, just messing with him. No, no, he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, he sees knobs and has to pull, push and pull. I can't blame him. I do too. No, the <laughs> me pushing and pulling the knobs is something that I think we should put out there as like a warning to anyone who gets an XLR microphone. Discord hates them, and so you have to turn off every feature on discord in order for you to hear a normal and that's the problem is is i'll be fine one week on discord next week haven't touched a fucking thing and people are like you're cutting out you're cutting out and so i have to get like this close to the microphone and do like this really bizarre asmr while playing fucking video games and it's it's just like jesus fucking christ it's there's some times where i wish i could just get like a yeti yeah. For so you just yell across the room like you did in the old days with a yeah. fucking lawnmower. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like just get a Yeti for Discord because Blue has all that integration now. Yeah, they a uh, Yelly is what I'll call it. You have to yell at it. Um, and Goat, I I wanted to ask you too because this is something I don't think we've ever really talked about on the podcast. Oh boy. But how did you end up working on music with Tex, and where do you get your kind of inspirations to do these twists on songs you do a lot of filk stuff but like like we did a we did a song i don't want to spoil it but we did a song and you did it with like a country twist even though that wasn't like even in my headspace and you did it like so quickly like so my question is like how did you start working yeah well i get it simple but like where did you like what's your draw to all that it's just i don't it just comes naturally okay um i mean as far as like how we got into it i was fucking um on voice and on the legion discord one day while tuning and tech and people like oh she was a good start and sex like all right let's hear what show me what you got weird why, new person. why do why do i sound like i'm a troll from louisiana <laughs> yeah because like i because uh, i don't smoke um 
<laughs> yeah, but yeah, but I mean, I'm not like Copenhagen. What what a flavor, <laughs> Copenhagen. You can see it in my smile. <laughs> I mean, that's I don't sound like that. It's, well, uh, okay. All right, come Fine. on. What kind of brown are you? A Brazilian? How many is that? <laughs> that's a joke I always tell. All right, new guy. Let me get some chow in, and you tell me a story on your git box. What was the question? Uh, okay. How, <laughs> how, <laughs> all right. Look, yeah. What but was like, it like learning? Okay, it? Like, yeah. okay. Dude, parody music and like filk and shit is, is like the lowest form of music there is. It's just you're taking something that's already there and you're just adjusting it and making fun of it. It's just satire. Okay. So, so it's a satire. Yeah. It's like if you can, if you can satirize, if you can, if you know how to satirize anything at all, and you have some kind of like musical skill, you can do it. It's it's the easiest thing to do musically. So like, what is a, so out of all the music you've made, what's the one that you're like you feel like you've done the best on, like personally? My original stuff. Yeah. What would uh, like something out of there? Oh, um, Violation, um, Voids Calling. There's a couple others I haven't recorded yet that are coming out when they come out. Yeah, but it was just stuff that speaks to me like internally and okay. like people. Oh, it's all Doomer ideas. She's like, no, it's about coming. The it's your personality. It's yeah, perfect. It's, it's nothing gotta, wrong it's, with it. It's acknowledging it. Yeah. Um. And you're you're turning it into something that you can express it better than just going. Yeah. Yeah. That's because they all died. No. You know, in, you're in, in beauteous pain. I am reborn. Yeah. That's one of the verse. Two of the verses. One of my uh, uh, uh an actor actually told me this in one of the best. Because uh, he had he had gone through some horrible shit in his life, and uh, he had lost his family, like th- they had died, and it was just these horrible things. And then somebody came in and just literally stole all of his shit from his mm-hmm. house. And he 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 was mad. He was he had like tears in his eyes. And then the next day he was perfectly fine. And he was just like, uh, he came up with this brilliant fucking idea for uh, a play that he just wrote that night. Yeah, and he was like. When I get mad, when I get sad, and when I get really upset, I get creative. Yeah, it's it's extremity of emotion. It's like something yeah. will happen, and you know, I'll, I'll bash out the lyrics at like three in the morning and the and the melody, and then record it the next day. Yeah, that muse. Once you have it right there, you gotta hit it. Yeah, but um, yeah, at, or where it's it, like after after like wake after <coughs> waking from like something Bless very you. vivid. You know, yeah, the, that's one of the reasons I keep a dream uh, note for every dream I have. Cause I still think about that fucking dream about the dream people that ask Mike if he'd think about them and shit. And I do. All those, yeah, and all the all those people out there on the podcast heard it, so now they're thinking about them. Yeah, I'm hoping that that world stays alive. It will now. Where was like that one dream? I don't. Uh, I told Tex this weird dream. This I I'm, this all will end it because we're, we're about to go way over time here. Oh shit! Well, we we were talking some good shit on this. Is this is great having you here? No, no questions tonight. Yeah, we'll get to, we'll get more questions somewhere. We got plenty. Um, so we had a, I had a dream where uh, I had woke up and I was outside and I realized I was smaller and then I looked at myself and I was like, oh shit, I'm a dog, and I I didn't know what to do. Like I was like freaking out, but I was outside our house here, so I, I was like, oh well, I'm not that far. So I go to like do the door, and goat was like, some somebody let their fucking dog over here. Get out of here. You look trying to chase me out. And I was trying to like convince you that I'm not a dog, that I'm me. And so like ran in, darted in. Apparently I'd been missing for a few days or something. So I darted in and I started like typing with my little doggy paws on the computer. And Goat was like, holy shit, 
what the fuck? This is Mike. And he was trying to, and text came out of his room. I guess he was streaming or something. He came out of this room. He like, and you, you were petting the dog. Like, so this is Mike. This is actually him. And you thought he was crazy. Like, no, he typed on the computer. And so I went up there and did it again. And text went, bullshit. No, I refuse to believe that my missing friend is a fucking dog. I don't care if it's true. That's bullshit. You got so mad. You were throw. You were like, no. And then you're like, but they go to put text. Look at Mike's cute face, and I it, I did the puffy thing, and you're like, Ugh! that's that's how you did this. Oh my god! And then you went back in your room, and then you came back out like you're about to say something, and then you guys decided to order barbecue, and we just had like this barbecue out there, and I just sat out there, and we just go was playing music, and it pretend like nothing weird was going on, and then I woke up. Uh, to uh, somebody because in the dream it was like the fence fell over for some reason but it turns out somebody opened up the fence over here to get to our backyard to mow the lawn so it like freaked me out and I was like what a weird fucking dream but I thought it was funny Texas reaction like no I refuse that is not my friend no that is not happening we're not in a Disney movie this is not happening right now so I refuse to go along with the premise of your dream. Until we had a barbecue, yeah. Uh, okay. I, would, I was about to say, yeah, Disney will be in contact with you shortly for those movie rights. Yeah, I, but they don't even, they'll just steal it from me. Anyway. They'll just take it. Yeah, they'll, they'll be like, from the makers of uh-huh, it, That's my property now, bitch. <laughs> um, Pixar presents Mike's a Dog. Dis- yeah. Disney Prince Goat. Can you imagine that? Disney Prince Tex. Oh, uh, man. The, the first, uh, oh, no, the first Brazilian princess. I think they did... Um, oh, El Dorado now. No, that was no, Road to El Dorado, I believe, DreamWorks. was DreamWorks. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Rio? Eh. Rio was the, um, uh, what is it? The blue. Yeah, the macaw. Yeah, macaw. Yeah, but you there need- was like the girl macaw and there was like the romance subplot for the human. Okay, whatever. And, and, and anyways, we'll just end it on this uh, bombshell. <laughs> Eldonius, you know, I mean, as, as much as you are, uh, can you leave us one bird fact you have learned with having birds that live Yeah, speaking of birds. Give us one bird fact in this podcast. All right. The thing about being an exotic bird owner among many people is nobody wants to talk about your birds. Everybody wants to talk about dogs. Everybody wants to talk about cats. But they don't want to hear jack shit about your birds. So, a to anybody out there who might be considering a bird as an exotic pet, I would strongly advise you not to. Anytime someone has casually mentioned to me that they would like to own a large exotic bird, I had said I have told them is like, please reconsider. They are not like dogs. They are not like cats. They will consume your life. They are a high-maintenance pet that can and will hurt you at some point. So, your bird tip of the day for handling exotic pets is that a parrot treats all kind of negative and positive reinforcement all as positive reinforcement. (laughs) If a bird charges you, bluffs you, or intends to bite you... If they do bite you, do not react. Any kind of reaction is to them a positive interaction. So please, when bit by birds or attacked by birds, ignore it. Make your face blank. Act like you are a block of wood and calmly and gently return the parrot to its cage or owner. That is your bird tip 
for today. <laughs> Most excellent. All right, Tex, send us out. If you want to ask us a question on the BPL podcast, uh, you can go do that on the Anchor FM thing and Deputy screens them. So good luck. You have to impress him to get a question to us. And uh, remember, you can downvote a podcast, but only on Apple. Everyone else doesn't give a fuck. Thank you for putting us in your ear holes. Drive safe. And if you are still having your eyes closed and you're a forklift operator, you, you're probably fired. There, There's not much for them to do some days. I know, but you're probably fired. I would drive around, just look important. True, you know, true. That, that's the best. High speed, best speed, baby. High speed, best, best speed. speed. <laughs>